0: One one of my uh, wolfisms is when work looks like work, work gets done. And the more familiarity we can create between what cybersecurity is doing and what the business does, anyways, the more successful we're going to have.
1: You are listening to the Mindful Business Security Show, brought to you by Fosivity, where we answer your questions and simplify information security for small businesses. Get the clarity you need to focus on the things that matter.
2: Hello, hello, hello! You are listening to the Mindful Business Security Show. I'm your host, Accidental CISO. You know, I'm glad you're listening to this episode because it's going to be packed with great questions, discussion, and information to help you protect your business. If you haven't already subscribed, please take a moment and subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss any future episodes. Today, we're going to dive into risk management in a small business setting. It's an important topic. So please share this episode with anyone that you think would benefit from the conversation and answers to our caller's questions. My guest host today is a good friend and a longtime industry veteran. How long? Well, let's just say he started in the field the same month that the movie Hackers was in the theaters. I'll let you look that up. Since then, he's held many positions as a security practitioner, executive, and consultant. Today, he's an advisory CISO and executive coach for security leaders. He's very active in the cybersecurity community, regularly attending, speaking, and keynoting at industry conferences, interacting on social media, and mentoring others in the field. His passion for community has led him to start so many security conferences, communities, and meetups that he was once called the Midwestern Cyber Johnny Appleseed. In his most recent venture, he is co-founder of Securing Sexuality, where he uses hacking to protect against vulnerabilities where we are all most vulnerable. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today, and welcome to the show, Wolf Gorlick.
0: Oh, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: We were talking about having you on the show several months ago, and I'm glad we could make it happen this time.
0: Life is good. Yeah, I mean, your show has been taken off. You're so busy. You got so many things going on. I'm, just, I'm glad our calendars worked.
2: Yes, there is definitely a lot uh, going on here, but the the show's sort of a passion project that I'm doing for community outreach here and uh, I was struggling as I usually do finding listener or finding callers to call into the show. I have no shortage of guest hosts that are wanting to jump in and help share what they know with small business owners and small business leaders, but finding those business folks and reaching those folks uh, and, 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 getting them to, you know, take a little bit of time out of their busy week running their businesses to, you know, think about what questions do I have about security and, uh, you know, to, to get set up to call in. I've been struggling with with finding folks. So, uh, but we've got a, a great uh, lineup of callers here today to ask us questions. So I'm really excited to get their their questions again. And anybody listening, uh, if you have small business people that you know in in your life, uh, you know business owners, uh, folks that are managers or executives in in small companies uh, as well, share the show with them and let them know that if if you know they're having questions or struggling with some things with IT and cybersecurity, uh, you know get them pointed our way. Uh, share the show and and see if they can uh, sign up to be a caller. It'll it'll be a huge help to us, and we can get them. Uh, some help as well and get their questions answered. Uh, Wolf, I uh, always do this uh, you know guest host interview segment here, so I've got some some questions here for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> the, uh, the The work that you and your wife are doing um, and the way you've combined your professions is really fascinating to me. Can you share the story of how securing sexuality came to be and talk a little about what the organization does?
0: Yeah, thank you so much for highlighting that. So my wife herself is a small business owner. She is an author. Um, she runs a therapy practice out here in, in Michigan. Um, she does supervision and coaching and, and trainings all around trying to help people feel more comfortable in their relationships um, and you know protect their pursuit of pleasure. Now, what this has led to, we travel a lot, right? So I'm, I'm coming to you uh, live from Chicago. I was in uh, San Francisco a couple of days ago. I'm going to be in New York in a few days. And we travel a lot. And I usually drag her along with me, unfortunately. I mean, it's just the beauty of telehealth. And invariably, cab drivers or Uber drivers or Lyft drivers will be like, what do you guys do? I mean, it's, you're making conversation. And the break tap moment always is me saying, oh, I'm a hacker. And she's a sex therapist. <laughs> like what? <laughs> it's not a duo. Usually fine. And so we had talked about doing things together for a long, long time. Just we we thought it was funny. Um, but then, then, as undoubtedly so many people have noticed, uh, things have gotten really hard for people who are trying to have relationships online, who are trying to be authentically themselves online, uh, who are trying to get healthcare online. Uh, and frankly, everything is online. The, this idea uh, that, you know, back when Hackers was out, right, this idea of the original hacker ethic that only the, the best of the best would have access. Well, we're all on it. We're all trying to do it. And what that means is people who are just trying to live their best lives are stumbling because technology is not designed to be secure. Technology is not designed to be safe. And so Securing Sexuality was born out of a desire to really connect her work on the relationships and my work on the technology and bring those two together, similar to what you're doing here in terms of, you know, doing Q&A and and sharing information, but really focusing very closely on interpersonal relationships. I I like how you put it earlier, right? Helping people uh, understand vulnerabilities and then techies are like, oh, that's code. Yes. And (laughs) when... When we're all most vulnerable, and that's usually with partners, and it's usually in intimate relationships.
2: Wow, that's really great. I I love hearing what folks are are doing and how they're applying their expertise in in creative ways and 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 helping people. Uh, you know, because that's again the the big whole reason I'm doing this show is to try to help people. So I I love hearing from other folks that are finding ways to help others with what they know and what they do and what they're good at.
0: If if I can add on that, I think we're seeing a resurgence in in hackers because when we when we started off, right, it was all about like you know fighting systems and eking out uh, eking out some safety, eking out some power, eking out some privilege. And so many folks from what you're doing here with small business, I uh, was on the phone with uh, a good friend of both of ours uh, a couple of days ago, and he's helping lawyers protect themselves. Uh, I've been working with librarians before and now with with therapists and and uh, you know coaches and educators I think so many of us uh, have looked at our careers and went you know this is great this is fun but now that I know things how can I how can I give back so I, I know you and I are very aligned on that
2: yes yeah playing with the technology is fun but it's not necessarily fulfilling it's finding that way to apply these the the, the fascination and the the uh, you know, the the passion that we have for for tech and the hacker mindset and finding creative ways to use things and break things in the executive coaching that you do another form of helping folks you know really um, are there any recurring themes that you see regarding kind of the challenges that your your coaching clients face and need help with?
0: Yeah, so I work with uh, CISOs, chief information security officers. Uh, deputy CISOs or business information security officers and uh, and directors. And, you know, at that point, it's not how do I configure this? How do I type? This? Sometimes it is. I had a great conversation earlier today around uh, yubikeys in, in certificate services and how to answer questions around cyber insurance. So sometimes it is, but much more regularly. It's really the people side. How do I get my peers to buy in? How do I make sure I'm implementing this in a way that doesn't burn out my staff and my team? Um, how do I communicate it to executive leadership and to the board? Uh, how do I do culture change? Because with any number of security capabilities, uh, where oftentimes we run into last mile problems, that those last implementation problems that sink everything, is people didn't use it. <laughs> or people worked around it, or suddenly our funding was cut, right? But uh, the thing I keep coming back again and again and again, year after year in my career, is, is how do you make good relationships? How do you influence people? Um, how do you build joint business cases? Um, how do you design security so that people want to use it? Uh, which is that last question actually led me to my job today. I was looking for my next big adventure and found a company that was so heavily focused in on design as a way to create great experiences and gain buy-in that I had to go join them. And so that has been an ongoing uh, ongoing topic.
2: If we flip that around a little bit, uh, what advice would you give to a business owner or an executive to help them better support the IT and security leaders in their orgs?
0: So... The best experiences I've had as a security leader from a business perspective is when the business perspective or when the business owner is treating me as part of the business, is treating me part of the solution, brings me in early, right? Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Um, do you have any advice for me? Um, I love being brought in early. I, I, as we all know, being brought in at the last minute and go, oh, I know you're in love with this idea, but. We got to do it completely different and pay twice as much. Being brought in at the last minute is why security people get a bad name. Uh, being brought in early. The second thing is, uh, and this was something that I was very fortunate to get when I was an information security officer in financial services, is give give coaching and advice on what the business ramifications are of decisions in tech. So. You know, how is this piece of uh, server, uh, how is this software as a service, how is this new security control, how is this thing going to influence the business? What business processes does it drive? What is the context of that business process? Um, what are we positioning for organizationally, You know, near-term and long-term? And the better your security people can understand that, the better they can help build uh, build the right solution or select and help guide towards the right solution. I think the the second thing that I hate the most after being brought in late is not given context. Uh, we're, we're gonna do this thing. okay, well, why Well, we just need to do the thing. Okay, well, I guess here's how we we'll secure the thing. And then you find out three months later, yeah, but this thing that we're doing was actually part of a larger business initiative. Let's bringing in customers, and therefore, if we'd only done a little bit to the left, or a little bit to the right, we could have had a better business outcome. So the the relationship side between business owner and security leader can be incredibly powerful if we're brought in early and if we're given uh, the context and the guidance to make sure that a technology solution that we recommend in uh, champion lines up with the business solution and the direction that the organization's going in.
2: Absolutely. I I agree wholeheartedly with that. That has also been my experience as well. Uh, And we make this show for those business owners and those leaders. Like they're the the ones that I really want listening to this show to learn about security. Um, So they may not necessarily, uh, you know, be experts in IT and security and that sort of thing. So, you know, I want to establish... A working definition of the term risk management before we really dive into that. Can you talk a little bit about what we mean when we say risk management in this context?
0: Yes. And I think, you know, as a, as a business owner, we're all sort of, we have the gut check, right? I know if I take a certain risk, it might pay off, it might not. In uh, in my, my wife's uh, practice, my wife's small business right now, we're having a lot of conversations around marketing and outreach. And I'm like, well, if we spend this much, we might make it back or we might not, right? I think intrinsically, we all understand that business side of risk. And also, we all understand that there are risks we take every single day. If I'm driving to the office or taking a cab, if I'm flying somewhere, right? Uh, there are risks associated with both of those things. And of course, there's some controls. There's some Maybe I am very careful about the cars I request or the cars I drive. Uh, Maybe I'm very careful about the airlines that I I tackle. Maybe, and certainly if you're driving, I hope we've got got insurance and other things to to cover it. In cybersecurity, we take that same approach. We're like, look, there are a lot of different things that can go wrong. Let's start prioritizing and determining how likely they are to happen. Um, Let's determine if they do happen, what it will impact. Again, this is why business context is important. If I lose uh, this cloud service that we're running, does it matter? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Right? There's there's a, a need to understand the impact of any uh, anything bad going wrong on a piece of technology up to the business level. So, what's the likelihood? What's the impact? And then what can we do about it? Right? Now we know what our high level risks are, our mediums, and our lows. Uh, what what should we do about it? Do we do we have a higher cyber uh, security insurance premium? Maybe, maybe, right? Uh, I'm driving a, a brand new car and the impact of it getting crashed is pretty bad because I just paid a lot for it. Therefore, I've got better insurance, similar with, with some risks. Or perhaps uh, we're going to invest in some security controls or some technology that will help us mitigate or minimize that risk by performing good activities. Uh, or we're gonna do awareness training, right? Ah, I know what? the best way to make sure that we don't crash is to train everyone to be better drivers. Okay, it's good, It's good. We can talk about that. We can invest in vehicles, we can invest in uh, training, we can invest in insurance, and all these things that we're taking, You know, of course these are just high level examples, but all these things taken right down to the particulars in cybersecurity in terms of software services, um, staffing, partnerships. Uh, are done and should be done. You should be talking to your security people and your partners about this. Are done to address very specific risks that are realistic, that are likely, and that will be very impactful if they happen to our business.
2: And you've had a lot of opportunities to work with many, many different organizations over your your career, especially as an advisory. So, uh, are there things that you see organizations getting wrong, like on a regular basis, about how to manage risks?
0: Oh yes. So, um, can I take a pot shot of the security people
2: first? <laughs> Absolutely.
0: One thing I always find funny, and if you're a business owner, maybe maybe this will resonate with you, is in the beginning, all you know tech people, myself included, talk tech. Here's the CVE. Here's the patch. Here's the the uh, you know new changes on the VP. I'm going to keep running out of acronyms. I'm not expecting anyone to listen. To them, but this is what we talked about. We know everyone just glazed over. Some point in our in our uh, habit of making things overly complex, we noticed, wait a minute, businesses often talk about risk, right? I'm taking risk, I'm making an investment. Ah, ah, we should talk about risk. And we went and studied risk, and we formed up uh, risk frameworks like active and Fair, and what did we do? We immediately made it too complex. We went right in the deep end, we nerded out, we geeked out, and now we're like, oh, by the way, Here's the table, and here's the formula, and here's the percentage. And again, the business size just glaze over. <laughs> so problem number one. While I really do have a great admiration for formal risk management programs, especially if you are, you know, one of the top, you know, twenty banks in the world, you better have a formal risk management program. But I think problem number one is those don't necessarily need to scale to SMB. We can oftentimes do pretty good with going. You know what? If this went. It'll be bad, bad, bad. Therefore, higher risk. Let's do something about it. We don't necessarily have to run a Monte Carlo simulation and collect all the data and whatnot. But oftentimes we, in security, try to make things a little bit overcomplicated and overengineered. That's my poke at the risk, people. What uh, From that point, when we start thinking about where risk management programs go wrong, Another area is, and I just heard this, I'm in Chicago. And the reason I came to Chicago was there was a security event, 15th annual security event on a uh, Lake Michigan cruise ship. And I've never presented on a cruise ship. I thought this would be cool. So I went and I presented. I was, I had a lot of fun. The person after me, and I shall not name their names or the product, but the person after me was like, we will help you stop fishing forever. And this is where the problem occurs. The next problem is whenever we apply any control, it's a hygiene factor, right? You, you do what you do to make things a little bit better and to reduce the risk. Uh, any time it's presented to a business leader or someone with purchasing authority as once you buy this or implement this, your problems will go away. What problems? All your problems. What risks? Any cyber risks you know it, the the uh, conversation has jumped the proverbial shark because nothing does that now they have a really good solution for stopping a certain type of fishing and I may say this one type of fishing which happens out of one in ten can be stopped by this product that I think is a good discussion something very tangible and something' very specific right now your business is being attacked a hundred times a year and of those hundred times, 20 of them are this category of attack. If we put this in place, it would stop them. Now, people may say, well, does that mean we'll stop all attackers? No, the criminals will get better because every time we get a little bit more advanced, every time we put in place a better mouse trap, we just breed better mice because that's the nature of cybercrime. But the, the second area where risk management so oftentimes goes wrong is in claiming that we will stop something permanently and forever
2: when it never does. It, it drives me nuts, the the, the marketing and stuff in my, my time as a CISO. And even as a, a business owner today, as a, a virtual CISO consultant, I, I get people marketing to me as if I don't know the details of what their product really can and can't do realistically. And it it really is maddening because somebody without that experience that's going to take that at face value is going to think that, oh, I just need to buy this tool and I'm I'm good. Um your comment about, you know, complexity looking for tools as well. You know, we go out and we we look for a tool that does X and we find a vendor that does X. And they're like, but wait, we also do Y, Z, and Q and A. They don't really do any of them well. And you really only needed a- X. And you know, I you end up with this really complicated solution that that you know they're trying to sell you something that does more than what you needed in that as well. And if you buy it and deploy it, like now you have more to manage. And you know, unfortunately I spent a lot of time doing it operations, the more convoluted and complex an environment gets, the more room you have for mistakes and to not do things consistently and that sort of thing. So yeah, I keeping things simple, you know, that's kind of the whole premise between what I'm doing and in, in my consulting and the mindfulness of the mindful business security show is like just, Trying to keep things simple and really be mindful about what we're doing. and Are we doing the right things and, you know, the right tools and those types of things there? So, yeah, absolutely.
0: I had a a good friend of mine um, recently tell me, he said, you know what? If carpenters spent as much time blaming their tools and looking for new tools as security leaders did, no house would ever be built. and No building would ever be finished. So I, I love simplicity, right? A simple plan with a simple tool well executed will beat a convoluted, complicated, you know, tool half implemented every single day.
2: Amen. And and if, if you could wave a magic wand, you know, is there is there like one thing that you would want every small business owner or leader to understand about information security?
0: The hygiene factor I mentioned earlier. Is is a good place to start. There are certain things that are just good practice these days, and what used to be considered like good practice and due diligence in financial services, um, you know, like we've got our proven accounting practices, right? We are starting to see the emergence of those in cybersecurity, and so understanding those fundamentals, things like having multi-factor, using stronger passwords making sure your devices are up to date, uh, making sure that uh, things are protected from the internet, uh, making sure that as much as possible, you're bringing your SaaS applications, software applications together under one umbrella, you know, by federation and whatnot. Uh, Those types of of hygiene factors will go a tremendous way towards protecting. I'm not going to say they'll stop everything. And there's going to be a day where an adversary comes up with a way to work around them. But oftentimes, back to the basics and the fundamentals, if you can get in the habit of just mastering those fundamentals and trying within an organization to just do something a little bit better each quarter, you're going to be in a much better security state than your peers. And you're going to do so without having to be swamped with uh, you know vendor <laughs> marketing and, and high expense bills.
2: Excellent points. Very good. Uh, so we've got some callers lined up uh, with questions about risk management. So are you ready to go to the phones and take some calls? Let's go. Awesome. Yes, let's go.
1: Do the cybersecurity risks to your business have you confused? Visit foscivity.com slash podcast. That's F-O-C-I-V-I-T-Y dot com slash podcast and sign up to be a caller on a future episode.
2: All right, our our first caller today is not actually a caller. This is a first on the on the show. We have a uh, a write-in candidate. So this is our mailbag here. We have David from Zurich is asking this. Uh, time zones didn't work out for him uh, to be on the show to ask the question live. But he says, uh, are there any tools, SAS or otherwise, which are meant to help? Facilitate conducting IT risk assessments for internal use, uh, including maintaining lists of risks, exposures, mitigating controls and safeguards, uh, you know, for maintaining those records for future use. And then he qualifies this, but not called Microsoft Excel. (laughs) Um, You know, and... (laughs) I love Excel. It's probably one of my favorite tools. Somebody says it's the second best tool for everything. Uh, I forget who said that on on Twitter one day, but I, I particularly like that. So a lot of folks will use Excel as they get into this, but it very quickly can become cumbersome to manage your program with Excel. And I think that's kind of what David is realizing here. what you know what tools should small businesses, be looking at to help them kind of manage their security programs <laughs> uh, when they're ready to move on from Excel?
0: So first off, hello, Zurich. Uh, one of my favorite cities it has been about two years. I was there right before the pandemic. So I was there in 2020 it was the last time I was in, in Zurich. Great, great city. So thank you for uh, for writing in the question. And also, by the way, ExynLC, so kudos to you for your now international Probably not just now, but your international audience. That's fantastic. I love starting with Excel and then running to the limits of Excel and then moving off onto a, a real software platform. I think oftentimes you can demonstrate how much effort and time it takes to do something on, on Excel or spreadsheet and use that as the business case to invest in better tools. One of the challenges in this space um, is that there really is two options. There's like DYI, entry-level, very, very simple. And then there's the very, very complex, very large gorillas that are GRC tools, things like RSA Archer, uh, which I would never recommend in this context, but just as an example of a, a product that's over overwrought. And, uh, and there isn't enough, I believe, in, in the middle. There definitely is not enough in the middle. One of the tools that I do like is uh, CyTrust. So C-Y-T-U-R-U-S, CyTrust Technologies. They have a technology out, uh, which I, I like quite a bit. And what it, uh, what it does is it provides a risk management platform. It will track things from a governance risk and compliance perspective. That's what GRC is. Um, so you can say, here's what I need to comply to. Here's my standards. You can link standards because I think a lot of us start off with the CIS critical security controls and then march towards NIST or ISO, uh, depending on whether or not you're in Europe or the US and very quickly go, wait a minute, how do I map these up? I built my program, ah! So it'll allow you to map those across and give you a high level roadmap that uh, you can execute on and show risk as uh, being reduced for specific scenarios. So when when I'm thinking about that's the one that I'm thinking about top of mind, but as a very broad category, what you're looking for is governance risk and compliance tools uh, in, delivered over a software as a service or a SaaS platform. That's the broad category that you wanna be exploring.
2: And there are, as you mentioned, many out there and they get very, very expensive very quickly. Very quick. uh, It's not yes. uncommon to help price these out and quickly find starting 30k a year and going up from there pretty quickly. Um, there are some that are less expensive as well. Um, there's some open source ones uh, as well. There's one uh, open source one uh, that I know the, the person who built it. And he built it you know originally as a lot of open source projects come out. Scratching his own uh, itch of what he needed to manage tools, and it kind of took on a life of, of its own. And he's built an entire company uh, around this, and, and hired people and, and started building it. Uh, but it's called Simple Risk. Uh, so that's one that you oh, potentially could, risk. Yeah, yeah, could, could also look into uh, the. Uh, they have a SaaS offering, but they also have a free version that you can host yourself. Uh, but the only thing I caution with folks with hosting yourselves, and and I think probably why you know Wolf is recommending looking at SaaS first is anything you introduce in your environment, you now have to take on the operational overhead of the care and feeding of that system and securing it, and it just it's one more thing. It's it's more surface area within your org that you have to take care of and secure and update, and all of these. Things that you have to do. So, uh, you know, if you can find one that's a, a SaaS based solution that lets you focus on your core competencies, gives you the capability that you need without having to go and operate more infrastructure uh, internally, that will uh, go a long way uh, as well. So, uh, and something else also in this space, there's a lot of these tools where they're marketing, kind of like we were talking before is, oh, you can automate your security. Automate your SOC 2, you know, because SOC 2 is a huge one that, that a lot of uh, smaller org startups especially uh, end up uh, needing to, you know, from customer demand. Their customers say, hey, we want to see your SOC 2 report. Uh, we'll automate your SOC 2. But it's a little disingenuous, and it, it drives me nuts because they can automate some of the evidence collection, but you still have to implement the controls. You still have to have those tools in place and you still have to do the things that you say you're going to do uh, as a part of your SOC 2 And it can't automate everything, but it, it can help automate the evidence collection piece of it. So I think that's something also is when you're looking at the marketing for some of these tools, just be wary when you when you see the ones that really want to push too far to the, we're just going to automate your compliance. Uh, you know, because compliance is about behavior. Unless you're behaving in a compliant way, they can't automate that. <laughs> uh, so just something to, to watch out for there.
0: Yeah, I think that's really well put, right? In all of these, you need someone who can um, understand what's going into it, make sure the right data is coming out of it. Um, like any good tool, it's only as good as the person who's wielding it. So I think that's a really good point.
2: David, thank you for that uh, mailbag question. Uh, I appreciate you sending that in so we could answer your question here on the show, even though you couldn't be here listening and and talking with us live. So our first caller today is Devin from Chicago. Hello, Devin. How are you? Welcome to the show.
1: Good. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah. How can we help you?
1: So let's say that you've built a risk management framework at your company and you've reached a decision point in in dollars
0: you know versus risk how do you prioritize those resources humans tech money time you know we, we only have so many resources available to us yeah and this is a question that's coming up more and more often uh, at least in my conversations because there's a general sense that we're moving into a, a period of belt tightening right? There's periods in security where they're like, here, have a lot of budget. And there's periods of, nope, <laughs> please don't spend anything. Please wait. Uh, please wait your turn. Uh, we need to do it with less headcount. Uh, and we need you to do it still secure, but not as secure. So this is a question that we're having quite frequently at the moment. And it's, it's a challenging question, right? Because as security professionals, we want the most Security, we can. That's that's our incentive. As much security as possible. <laughs> that, is, that is our our goal. And of course, getting back to what I was saying in the beginning of this uh, conversation, the good partnership with the business helps mitigate that uh, any excesses to keep us all on the same page. When we're looking at prioritizing, a couple key things. First off, we want to be very specific. Here is the scenario we're mitigating. I am going to mitigate the risk of a certain type of phishing email attack. I'm going to mitigate the risk of data exposure. I'm going to mitigate the risk of credential compromise. I'm going to mitigate the risk of uh, bot attacks on our e commerce site, right? We want to be very, very clear on what those scenarios are, what they matter to our business, what's going to happen if they happen, impact, cost, exposure, et cetera, uh, and what it's going to take to address them. Prioritization number one, we're not gonna be able to do all those. And it's a matter of explaining what scenarios we are doing and why we're doing them, but also being very, very clear and security teams sometimes struggle with this, contractors struggle with this, consultants struggle with this, service providers struggle with this, being very, very clear about what we're not doing. We are not gonna be addressing this risk right now. And if they say, what? That's yes, you you need to. And then we need to talk about budget. That's so prioritization one. be very clear what we do and what we don't do, and knowing what we do should be very specific around a scenario and tied to impact and tied to resources. Question number two, always people over product. People first, then process then product is is my way of thinking about this. Uh, if you have to cut licensing, cut licensing for a bit. It's easier to cut licensing. Or you know, stop paying for a product for a little bit and then pick that back up, than it is to lose someone who understands your business, who understands what you built, understands where things go and why they work the way they do. You can't replace that. You can't. Um, it may feel like you can, but the reality is, uh, you hire someone for techno acumen and they don't know your business. They're still going to take months to years to catch up. So, first place to cut, I believe. Is is in your your product expenditures, uh, either recurring or uh, subscriptions, uh, is where I would start, and then any the, you know uh, capital investments reduce that, and then and only then would I look at look at headcount, uh, but I'd be very leery uh, about that, and I would first do as much as I can to prioritize the risks before I start talking about a reduction in force.
2: And it's something that I like to do uh, to help my clients when I'm working on giving them the results of an, uh, an assessment, where we assess, you know, where where you know the state of their security program is sort of the risks that they they still have. Uh, like Wolf said, looking at impact is a huge huge piece of it. And I and I a lot of times will frame it as sort of three levers. One is is impact, but for the client, I frame it as the impact that this is gonna, the positive impact that this is gonna have on your real security posture. So, creating a policy document isn't gonna have a super big impact on your actual security posture. Whereas, implementing multi-factor authentication is going to have a very large impact, high impact on your uh, actual security posture of your organization. Uh, but then the other two I look at are, are complexity and cost. And this is based on their specific environment. So the way you think about it is like, okay, the you know, if you rank, stack, rank these things, you know, and, and break them down into these are the items that are going to have a real, tangible impact on security versus things that not so much. But then also things that are uh, how complex they are. So certain things, again, creating a policy is a very low complexity thing. Deploying MFA in a small business environment, maybe a medium complexity sort of thing, whereas maybe deploying uh, a system to aggregate all of your logs and a you know a, a some tool and get security monitoring. If you you know consider this tool is almost like the DVR with all the closed circuit cameras, it's like the computer network equivalent of that. That starts to get very complex, and it's also very expensive. Whereas MFA is probably a uh, that way me low if they're already using. Microsoft or Google or something that you can just turn this on without adding any extra cost. So by looking at those things, you can help find the low hanging fruit to prioritize. You can look at what are the high impact things that are low cost and maybe low to medium complexity that you can get those quick wins, gain some momentum and, and close some stuff up pretty quick and then start looking at, okay, where are the things that are going to be more complex, more difficult, more budget intensive that you're probably going to have to plan for anyway in order to do those. So hit, you know, you can figure out your quick wins and start planning your roadmap almost that way. Cause that, then you can start prioritizing your resources around the the, the roadmap that you have just by looking at that, that impact, the complexity, uh, how much planning and that kind of stuff is this going to take? How many systems does this touch to, to implement it? and the cost. And you don't have to do more than high, medium, and low. Like it can be pretty coarse grain still in a small business to separate these things out. And then in Excel, start filtering those columns in Excel for, you know, high impact and low cost kind of stuff. You know, low, low, I'm a huge fan of finding that low hanging fruit and getting those quick wins uh, to, to move things forward while you're planning and getting the budget ready for the the heavier lifts that you're going to need. Hopefully that was helpful, Devin. I appreciate you calling in the show.
1: Thank you, appreciate it.
2: Our next caller today is Dean from Maine. Dean is our first repeat caller. He was on a earlier episode with some questions and uh, found it so helpful, he decided to call back in with some questions today about risk management. So, hey, Dean, how are you and how can we help you?
0: I'm doing very well and what I'm struggling with right now is how do I establish a common language with the rest of the business to try to explain the scope of exposure, other than saying this is bad, this is really bad, and this is not too bad but somewhat okay. Sure. So here's the thing, and I'm glad you raised that because with risk management, oftentimes we forget that like people's natural way of moving through the world is to ignore every risk. Like the human condition is one of ignoring risk. And we don't want to think about it. Like uh, there was this really intriguing study that was done a couple of years ago uh, where they looked at health outcomes and they found that people were more willing to like assume they had cancer or assume they never be able to play sports again or assume they had to have an amputation and then to be left in the ambiguity of it depends. If there, if it was a gray area, if it wasn't like, yeah, you're really bad or no, you're fine. If there's a gray area, they're like, oh, just. It, we'll, we'll take the worst. I'd rather assume I have cancer than hear it depends. And this translates very, very neatly into how we move through the world with talking about cyber risk management, because um, folks don't want to hear hear it. That's problem number one. And problem number two is, to your point, it can be very difficult to say good, better, best, or bad, worse, worst, uh, as the case may be. So what do you do about that? Well. The other interesting thing about human psychology is we love a good story. We love a good anecdote. We love a good data point. So when I do coaching or when I'm explaining a risk in my day job or whatever, I tend to follow what I call a heart, head, and hands model. Heart is something that gets your attention. Head is the statistics behind it. And hands is what I need from you. What this may look like is you pick a very specific risk. And Dean, do you have a specific risk? Like, could I model this out like a real one that you got, like right now you're working on? Uh, Unfortunately, no. I'm just trying to figure out how we get a better language. So I I don't have one specific one today. All right. So um, let's see. What is something that people are talking about right now? Move it is in the news at the time we record this because people are uh, getting breached because of their file transfer software. So the, the heart may look something like, did you hear a company just like ours is in the news because they got compromised because of file transfer software. What? That's terrible. What are we doing about that? Well, you know, I was worried about it too. And so when I dug into it, it looks like, and this is where we switched from heart to head. It looks like of our six main ways we move data in and out of our organization, one of them is absolutely affected by this. Five of them are not. One of them is. Um, and therefore, right now, I've, I went from heart to head. So now I've given some stats. I've given some data. Oh, no, by the way, um, this, uh, impacts, um, this impacts this type of data. So of our six ways of moving data through, one of them is affected by this. And I was equally concerned. I was outraged because I thought we had this partner who was taking care of it for us. Uh, and did you know that we move... 160 gigabytes of data through this every single month oh my goodness what what is it so now I get some data behind it now I got some facts behind it now we move to hands um, so what I need is I need your support to work with this vendor to upgrade this we need to demand that they upgrade it right away we need to pause things this is going to have some downstream ramifications in our business uh, because it's going to impact this process but we don't want to be like these other guys. Can I, can I get some support just to uh, take a slowdown on this data transfer and, and move through the process? So by telling a, a story that has emotional resonance and catches their attention, is backed by data and fact, right, we're not playing fear, uncertainty, and doubt. We're giving them real data points, and it really impacts us and has a clear ask. Not, oh, by the way, so I hope you support security teams because that's another thing to have. <laughs> what is your hands? My my hand is I hope that they like me. No, that's no no that's not going to work. Has a clear ask. I need you to pause this data transfer for two days while we work with a vendor to get it cleaned up. Um, you can be much more consistent or much more successful. And over time, if you're consistent with the stories you tell, um, you are effectively creating relationships where you've trained your business to know, oh yeah, data transfer. Didn't you talk to us about that six months ago? I did. And now this other open source product has gone awry. Why? I hate open source. Me too. But it's what we run our business on, right? You can start to create a common set of uh, vernacular with your people. Where this goes awry is in two directions. Direction number one, and this is oftentimes... Uh, the case with new technologists is we make it too technical. Move it, which is backed by this C V E, which is running on this server instance, blah blah blah. Don't need you just want enough detail to to cover it. Don't go too technical because you lose them. You you'll lose any hook on the heart and the head. Direction number two, because people start there and then we get beat up and we're told keep it high level, keep it high level, keep it high level. We keep it too high level and it doesn't mean anything. Something bad happened and I need you to talk to a vendor. So what? <laughs> so you need to double click a couple steps to give them enough information to explain what you're, what's going on, but not so granular that uh, that you stumble. What I have done in the past, and there's probably better ways out this, accidental would, when, when you take this, correct me because I'm out of date on this. But I used to use the open threat taxonomy. And I would use the open threat taxonomy as my way of structuring my stories so that they always align to a very high level threat explanation. And I would also then, I like Excel. I love my spreadsheets. I'd also sort of track like, oh, there's this many, this, and this is many, this. And I've talked about this, but not that. So maybe it's not open threat taxonomy, but have a high level map. So when you're talking about these things, you're effectively training your uh, organization to listen to certain things, file transfer in this example, um, authentication, uh, you know, cloud storage. Try to remain consistent in the way you wrap these things up because that consistency and the repetition will breed uh, familiarity with the stories, will make it much more likely that they'll pay attention to you and take action.
2: Yeah, those are really good points. Um, and I think something as well as just, and you sort of alluded to it, but I kind of want to be more explicit to it, Is like that conversation with them and including them in the conversation is huge. Like d- you develop that vocabulary through that relationship and through that conversation. So what uh, I recommend doing is instead of, uh, you know, in cases like the one that, that Wolf was talking about, where we have a vulnerability, technical vulnerability that just came out, that's that's being used by criminals in the wild today, like that is <laughs> needs something to happen now, um, is, is a little bit different than when you're going through just a, a risk assessment to gather, you know, current state of risk and put together a roadmap. And so when you're going through... That sort of a risk assessment process, including those stakeholders, you know, the the HR team in the conversation in the brainstorming of what could go wrong with this stuff, you know, how 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 could this be abused or or you know what bad things could happen based on you know the way we do things or or, or what have you. Um, it's a lot easier because like now you can get, you can pick up on their vocabulary and the way they're thinking and, and almost like start to morph to the, to their vocabulary on it. And then you can also get them involved in thinking through, okay, well, if those things happened, like, what's the impact, like, what would that do to us? You know, what would that cost us? Would we be able to work? Would we, you know, what, what would that mean? And let them tell you instead of you tell them, because again, now you don't have to come up with the vocabulary to communicate to them, because you're getting you flipped it around. You're getting them to tell you in in the process and get them to to go through that thought exercise. Uh, so I think a, a big piece of coming up with the the vocabulary uh, that the the specific groups of stakeholders in your business that it's going to resonate with them is going to just be you know through that relationship through talking with them and getting them to share and put things in in their words, repeat back to them, you know, what you're hearing, what you're understanding, making sure that you've captured things correctly as you're facilitating that risk assessment. But at the end of the day, you know, we've we talked about this a lot, like the business is the one that has to accept the risk. Like the, the security team, like they can provide input, but the security doesn't accept the risk and approve, you know, yep, the business can do this, but not that. Ultimately, the, the CEO, the CFO, the, you know, the, the, the VPs, the, you know, head of HR, like these are the folks that are going to have to accept the risks of whether we're going to do something or not, whether we're going to invest to prevent something bad from happening in certain scenarios. Uh, so, you know, ha- just having them involved in, in, in the process, like you'll, you'll find that vocabulary. Was that helpful? Hopefully that you know gives you some some uh, things to think about and, and move forward with there.
0: It's really helpful because it kind of fits in with our normal safety process we use for our or, normal operations. Sticking to more of safety process and linking the IT security side into just overall corporate safety and safety processes gives us kind of a common language to work with anyway. One, one of my uh, wolfisms is when work looks like work, work gets done. And the more familiarity we can create between what cybersecurity is doing and what the business does, anyways, the more successful we're going to have. So, Dean, I love what you just said because like I, I worked with a, a hospital system and they use patient health and care safety, like the, the way they describe like accidents on the the um, you know hospital floor in the way that they describe cybersecurity incidents. So they basically use those exact same forms and language because a business was already built to respond to that to they were trained to think like that. So what you just said, Dean was actually much better than anything I said because if you if you follow that proven process and adapt it for uh, cyber risk management, I think you're going to be very successful.
2: Thanks Dean, I appreciate you calling into the show again. Happy to help. Not a problem. Our third caller today here is Rachel from Columbus. Rachel, welcome to the show. How can we help you? Uh,
3: Thanks for having me. Um, So a few questions. I'll start with this one. Uh, What's the best approach to getting an an organization to adopt risk management into their business strategy and operations?
0: The alignment with cyber risk management uh, and business operation risk management is really crucial, whether it's. Here's how a hospital handles uh, patient health and safety and cybersecurity risks. Here's how uh, a manufacturer handles plant operation safety and cybersecurity risks. We really need to do a much better job of unifying those those things. I pointed to financial services and accounting earlier. Accounting has been doing this for 200 years. I've got uh, I sit on a board and the CFO can go, "If we don't do this, here's the risk of the business," and it's flawless. And they've got spreadsheets even in Excel, they got spreadsheets, they can prove it and get me excited. I'm like, all right, I see it, we need to take action. The problem with cybersecurity is oftentimes we're so in the weeds that we're not tying it back up to a business process. So the the trick, the, the thing that changed my whole point of view on this was 10, 15 years ago, when I started with business continuity and disaster recovery, I looked at business impact analysis, And from then on, I reported any risk in terms of how much money was at uh, at loss. The business process wasn't performed, and that completely changed the way that I approached things. Now that may not work for every organization. I mean, I have a BIA. People are like, "Oh, great! Now go do that for three years, and then I can do risk management." Ah, but if you have that sort of like ability to tie into top level processes and not talk about all the weeds, you can be much more effective and much better at explaining risks in the language of the business.
2: Yeah. And something I I also like to do is like we we generally start with risk management but in especially in small organizations, uh, small businesses, frameworks are fantastic because there are sort of a generic set of risks that these frameworks are already built to address just that you face in in the nature of doing business in today's business, you know. Economy landscape, you know whatever, and you know Wolf mentioned the the Cis twenty. Although with inflation, I think we're down to the Cis eighteen or something now. Um, (laughs) They they renamed it or reorganized it, so it's it's the Cis eighteen now. Um, But for folks listening, the Center for Internet Security has this eighteen framework of eighteen items. Now there's sub items in there, so it's it's technically more than eighteen things. But to help you. Build your security program, but those things are based on sets of risks that are already kind of inherent that every business is going to face. So you can kind of bootstrap your program by starting with those frameworks, or uh, you know the the NIST cybersecurity framework. NIST CSF is another fantastic one for small organizations. But as you're implementing those, there's going to be controls in there for how you do risk. So now all of a sudden. These frameworks can start spoon feeding you baby steps, crawl, walk, run, into a risk management program, and you can get kind of a base level risk management set up. You know, it helps you get a risk register. Maybe it helps you get a committee set up to at least talk about the stuff and and just start going through the motions while you get the rest of the framework put in. But the nice thing is, once you get the framework built, and and, and you're now compliant with the framework, it doesn't necessarily mean you're you know, 100% secure or anything by any means, but you're going to do better than a company who's not using a framework at all. Uh, But once you get the framework in place, now you're ready to start iterating and improving that continuous improvement. Like that's really where the magic of that risk management program is going to come in is now those incremental continuous improvement sort of things on top of what you've done to put together the frame, you know, the controls for your framework that are based on these generic risks that everybody faces. So you don't have to boil the ocean with a huge risk assessment to start with. You can start with these frameworks that I don't want to use the word generic because they're very, very good. Uh, but you can, you can start with these frameworks that are going to help bootstrap and accelerate getting to where you need to be, uh, and as you implement the tools, like you can start asking the whys as you go through, you know, this CSF. If there's one of these controls that just it doesn't sit right with with with, uh, you know, the, the business owner uh, or, or the VP or the CFO, you can have the conversation. of You know, why? Why do we do this? Should we do this? Like you can accept like, you know, maybe this one doesn't apply to us. Uh, so you don't have to do every one of these things, but it, it makes it easy when you start with these frameworks that have been put together by industry professionals that kind of have that academic rigor behind them and you know have been reviewed by folks in the industry uh, and you know folks saying, yeah, like these are things that you should be doing. I hate the term best practices because uh, best practices is like one of those hand wavy things that people that don't know what they're doing <laughs> tend to say. but it, in a lot of ways they kind of come down to like this is really how you should be doing things. Uh, you know, at least at a bare minimum. And then once you get that set up, iterate with, you know, your risk management, and that's when you start you get more creative with, okay, now what are the unique risks to just our business? Once you've got the generic risks covered.
0: See, I've got a question for you. Um, I would not use best practices in part for what you just said, but I find business leaders oftentimes understand, do care and to me frameworks are due care and when i've explained we're going to align with a framework because of due care because of due diligence that's worked does that does that track for you guys experience as well
2: i i i think so that's a good way to put it and that's something that i think they'll they'll understand cuz they're used to talking about due diligence and and due care on the business side of things generally
3: yeah, and it, it kind of keeps them on track too. It keeps them away from boiling the ocean because with some of the small to medium-sized enterprises I help, um, that's one of the big obstacles to get over. So the point that you made about you know taking little steps, any progress is good, right? So we just need to stay positive and keep moving forward to build that capability and maturity. So that's a really good point there.
2: And Rachel, did you have one more
3: yeah, so uh, with with uh, cyber uh, risk quantification, as we talked about a little bit earlier with fair, um, we, how, how do you prevent cyber risk isolation in the context of overall enterprise risk strategy? So when you get you know bigger numbers like that, people not you know kind of being fearful of you know this is a really big number. We don't want to isolate it just to cyber. Um, we want to see it holistically.
0: So I'll, I'll answer that a few different ways. Because generally when I run into this, it's, it's in a larger organization. If they have an enterprise risk management function, it's usually not on the SMB side. So I'm going to answer it as a larger company. And the way I've done that is two different ways, or two different steps. Step one is the enterprise team has already has their way of reporting risk. Generally, they just have this lovely line on them that says "cyber." <laughs> it's everything's underneath that. So, what I try to understand is, and try to ensure that I've got a good cadence with, is that enterprise risk uh, leader and the cybersecurity risk leader. Do they have a good interface? Does the cyber, you know, reporting coming in at the right time? Is it following a number that the enterprise guy is familiar with? Does he understand the methodology? Is he comfortable? Is it reporting similar as other areas of the business risk? Right Again, when work looks like work, work gets done. So part one of that is, do I have a common flow? Part two of that is, once I've got that, once I've got a good relationship with my buddy in enterprise risk management, and we're good friends now, and, and we go out and have drinks on the weekends, maybe now I'm getting carried away, maybe we're not that good friends, but <laughs> we'll at least uh, be friendly when we see each other in meetings, and we've, we've got a cadence. Well. That's when I'm going to interject, hey, you know, you've got a line here about supply chain. This, by the way, is a real example. This happened to me recently. You've got a line in here for supply chain. Yeah, I do. And I'm assuming that is coming from your procurement people. Yeah. And I'm assuming that is physical supply chain. Uh Yeah, absolutely, because we need parts and components. Of course, great. Have they taken into account the cyber impact on supply chain? and disruptions in the supply chain. Uh, I don't know, that's a good point. They should because like if people can't ship or people can't order, then we're gonna have problems up and down the supply chain. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Can I I equip you with a couple of questions to ask them? Or do you wanna have a meeting with the three of us to go over this? Yeah, that would be really helpful. (laughs) So once I've got the relationship, and once I've got my piece reporting well, then I'm gonna start chipping away at line by line to make sure that those other folks are taking into account cyber, and that may mean it may end up looking like whoever owns supply chain risk management in this example. But again, there's probably about ten or twenty categories enterprise risk is tracking. That may mean that they now are one of my customers, and my cybersecurity risk management program is feeding them data. You know, a month before they're reporting up to enterprise risk. This probably means I'm going to form other relationships. And other ways of giving the data across the the path. Again, that's on those are larger companies, but in the larger organization, that would be the approach I would take.
2: Yeah. And in, in the small orgs that I'm generally focusing on, the, the isolation isn't something that happens quite as much. I mean, as the as you start getting to, you know, a hundred person org or hundred fifty person org, you know, which is kind of where, you know, I I try to, to top out um, you know, to stay focused, like you can start having some of that. And I think, uh, you know, that relationship like Wolf was talking about is going to go a long way, especially too, if they see that you're there to help them and that you take an interest in their needs and what they are trying to accomplish. Cause too often the security folks come in and say, Nope, you can't do that. Nope. Don't do this. Don't do that. This is bad you know, and, but you're not, you're not helping them. you are just, you just the department of no. And you're telling them all these things they can't do instead of working with them to figure out how do you do this safely? <laughs> you know, how, what are we trying to achieve? Cause you're, you know, we're all on the same team. How do we try to achieve this in a way that is going to make their job easier or their lives easier as well? Um, you know, and with supply chain, there, there's so much digital integration there. Like, I don't, I mean, somebody doing supply chain stuff, if they're not thinking about the cyber side of supply chain, I mean, there's, there's so much there that we have to worry about now with all of the integrations all the way up and down the the chain to help support, you know, forecasting and inventory management and, and all of that. And uh, every one of those links and interconnections, like there's, there's access, there's data going back and forth. There's potential for bad things to happen, uh, you know, and, and, but in in understanding their world, being you know being their friend, caring about them, and that 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 compassion <laughs> there to help uh, understand what it is they're trying to accomplish and, and focus on that, I think is is another way to to stop having the silos because that, in my experience has been what gets people, because something else we' talked about earlier, was like coming leader, his advice for leaders is to bring your security folks in earlier. Instead of being an add-on, an afterthought later, you're going to bolt security on right before you ship it out the door, uh, you know, or, or you know, release something to you know, implement something. Uh, but if 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 you can get them involved earlier, but it's like that's the relationship and the mindset of being helpful and caring and taking a, a genuine interest in what they're doing that gets them to come to you early because they know you're going to help them. You're not just going to be like, nope, you can't do that, sorry. And then you want to go back to, you know, playing your video game or whatever, uh, you know, I don't know what a security analyst do when they're not fighting fires, but <laughs> it's, sadly, I mean, it is kind of like fighting fires though. Like you've got to have people that are available, but like they're, they're going to have peaks and valleys in time. So, you know, some of these folks, like they are going to have some downtime and have to fill it with something.
3: Yeah, that was uh great tips and advice there. Uh, communication. Absolutely. Number one, building rapport and, and making them, feel like, you know, they're supported by you and you're not the department know I love that.
2: Thank you, Rachel. I really appreciate you stepping in and calling in and asking questions for us on the show today. They were good questions, so really good conversation and, and discussion.
3: Yeah, thanks for your advice. Have a great day.
2: Yep, you too. So can I pick up
0: on something you were saying about the video games? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pay your people to play video games. Um, number one, number one tip. Now you may be going, Wolf's just pulling my leg, but we just, uh, in my day job, we do this uh, report called the security outcomes report. And we look at 5,000 organizations every year, 20 to 30 countries globally. We ask, what are you doing and what are you getting? And one of the things I wanted to know was like, what is the right level of staffing? What's the right level of staffing to be resilient, to keep your organization running, to keep going in the face of security challenges? What is it 10? Is it a percentage of your employees? What's the right number? And it turned out that was the completely wrong question to ask. We're, we're so lucky to work with Scientia, Wade, Baker, and those guys, the folks who originated the Verizon data breach report. But he's like, no, that's not <laughs> that the question you want to ask. So we looked at this, though, and what we found was it wasn't related to budget. It wasn't related to headcount. What it was, was it was related to Slack time. How much Slack was in your team, right? How many people were playing video games? Or if you wanna use your fire uh, fire analogy, how many people were you know, at the firehouse, hanging out, reading a book, or waiting for something to happen? So that when something did happen, they were immediately on deck. They didn't have to put down a project, they didn't have to walk away from something, they had to be called off a of PTO, they are immediately available to respond. One of the, uh, this goes back to your question about like what business leaders should know. Oftentimes business leaders are optimized. We all are, right? To be out there, hit the ground, hit the ground. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Time is money. Yes, I get it, totally get it. I've I've run startups myself and I, I totally get it. However, if you don't have that slack time in your security function and in your first responders, you're not gonna be resilient. And it may look like, wait a minute, why are they just playing video games? But you know, you're you're paying for that downtime so that you can have assurance that they can jump in when it's go time.
2: Yeah, fantastic points. Uh, much of my career I've spent in operational uh, capacities: IT infrastructure, operations, SaaS service operations, those types of things, in addition to security. And you know, having the operational interrupt driven things, you know, the the firefighting effectively where you can't predict when a customer is going to have a problem and need help. And if you load those people up with project work to hundred percent, they have no slack to take on the interrupt work and, and the interrupt work isn't bad. It's part of the nature of operations and supporting customers and, and supporting your internal employees in it as well. And so you know interrupt driven work is just a different type of work at that point and you've got to balance that and and if you have them too uh, to at capacity with the project work the interrupt stuff is going to derail the project work now you're creating stress and you're creating an environment where they have to go fix this problem but if I go fix this problem I'm not going to deliver on this thing that I told my management I was going to complete this week and that's not a good place for your people to be in where they have to now choose. Do I make good on a promise that I made and a commitment that I made to deliver something versus helping somebody? And, you know, that's where, where we end up with this grouchy IT thing where the, you know, the, the people having problems are an inconvenience, uh, you know, and they, they don't want to help us because they're getting pulled into too many different directions. So yeah, the, the, just the mental health advantage for your, your team of not having them have to make that choice between this interrupt thing that came up or delivering on something else. And that slack time is so, so important. I mean, you can't drive your car a red line hundred percent of the time. You, you got nothing left to pass somebody. You've got, I mean, it's just, you're going to burn it up. <laughs> it's just the way it works. I love and the same thing all these analogies
0: keep coming back to cars, by the way.
2: <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> so, uh Man, this, is, this has been awesome. We had great callers and stuff. Uh, any, other, any other final thoughts that you've got that you want to kind of leave folks with based on the, the conversation we've had?
0: No, I think we heard some common themes in the questions today, right? At least it felt like it to me. How, how do I communicate? How do I prioritize? How do I do the right things? And how do I stop doing the wrong things? Uh, and these are, these are frankly, challenges we've all been struggling with in security for many, many years. But if you keep an eye on what doesn't change, vulnerability of the day is come and go. The threat intelligence of the day comes and goes. Um, what uh, What is the newest, greatest, latest tactic that we need to get on a webinar right now and learn about? It's going to come and go. The breach of the month is going to come and go. Um what doesn't change, what is has been consistent, is we're effectively running twenty years of technology on twenty thousand years of technical debt. And by technical debt, I mean people. Right? People are are people. We respond pretty consistently to risk. Uh, we pres- respond pretty consistently to threats. Uh, we we respond very well to stories. Stories tends to be one of our, our predominant uh, OS levels. We have well-defined biases when you were talking earlier about getting the business involved in solutions i couldn't help but think of the ikea bias do you know the ikea
2: bias i have not heard of the ikea bias what is this okay
0: so this is (laughs) this is cool we'll go out on this because you know one thing people know about me is i always have weird little things that i draw lessons from ikea furniture right the the land of ikea and billy the bookshelves and uh and those great snacks afterwards they studied Ikea furniture. And what they found was people who built the furniture themselves versus people who paid Ikea to to construct it reported higher degrees of satisfaction with the furniture. Same pieces, same end result. I mean, probably worse end result if you're doing it yourself. At least if I was doing it, I'm terrible at furniture. Uh, but much higher degree of satisfaction. Why? Because there's this bias that we all have, a cognitive bias, which has now become labeled as the IKEA bias, uh, which says, if I'm involved with the solution, I'm more committed to the solution. If I'm involved with the construction, I believe more strongly that we've made the right decisions and we've constructed this appropriately. So the this is just one of many examples that leads to my bottom line, my final thought, which is risk management is people management and people management is relationships and understanding each other and understanding humanity. And I think if we can get that right, if we can get the storytelling and the relationship building and and all that, uh, all that underway, then we'll have a much better way of communicating the business of integrating risk and fundamentally of helping small businesses succeed in America and Zurich
2: that's a great thought to go out on so thank you for joining me on the show today Wolf I always love having the opportunity to talk with you and we need to do that more uh, I hope our listeners uh, have found this discussion valuable and we'll just share it within their networks i I, I think this conversation today uh, will will fit the bill there so you know if you're listening today you know please please share this with folks uh, in your networks if you found it valuable uh, and as always I want to give a huge thank you. To you, the listeners, because uh, we do the show for you. And if we're uh, weren't for you, we just be here talking to ourselves. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're listening. <laughs> so I am Accidental CISO. And until the next time, stay mindful.
1: Don't miss our next episode. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media. Visit Fosivity.com slash podcast. That's F-O-C-I-V-I-T-Y dot com slash podcast for show information and links to our social media pages. This has been the Mindful Business Security Show brought to you by Fosivity.